Chapter 15 Carthine's War Tent We will be ready tomorrow, Corey assured him, hardly for the first time that day. And you're sure no one will talk, Vazdo asked, also not for the first time. He was sitting on the edge of his bed, though already fully dressed, while Corey helped himself to a nearby chair. The Corsa rolled his eyes and fiddled with one of the shiny brass buttons on his new blue doublet. As I already told you, Vaslo, no one knows more than their part. Even if someone did talk, whoever was listening would not be able to piece together the plan, or even who was involved. And no one at all knows about Armia. Not even Armia. She won't know until tonight. That's as long as it can wait. Vaslo tried to calm his nerves. He could hardly ever recall being so jumpy, and more than a few times had laughed aloud at his nervousness. Thank you, Corey. I mean it. I couldn't have done this myself. I've no head for this sort of cunning. Corey laid a hand on the old fighter's tired shoulder. This is probably about as close to breaking a law as you've ever come, eh? Funny world, Wen, that you've killed a few people and maimed plenty more, but have never broken a law. I've never killed so much as a rabbit, that I can recall, and I've managed to break a few laws over the years. I've wandered into a few grey areas in my life, I'll have you know, he said defiantly. Corey smirked and tugged at a patch of grey beard that Vazu had let grow. <laughs> I'd say. It had been a long week since the unseemly affair at Lady Canlow's mansion. Vazu and Sir Alden had very nearly come to blows again, when the night after, the duelist took it upon himself to guard Armia's door at night, and relieved the two young men Alden had assigned to the job. The guards stopped letting Vaslo and Corey into the training yard, which was fine enough by them, since other than Bezrin's men, they received mostly venomous glares from the guards. The land baron also seemed to have grown disinterested in Vaslo, and had not called on him at all. The captain, however still invited him on late afternoon patrols on his own accord. The areas they could safely patrol had grown smaller and smaller during the week. Guardsmen were encouraged to give up any patrols of the Ironway or the adjacent marketplace. Many men had also been pulled away from the northern gate of the city, which had hitherto been Lord Thoto's checkpoint for arriving merchants. Not only did an ever-rising presence of rioters make the task more difficult, but word had spread sufficiently through the surrounding regions that Ashgarden was no longer a safe or convenient stop for courses. Only two traders had entered the city all week, according to Cory. Guardsmen themselves were deserting as well, mostly those who were born and raised in Ashgarden. One rumour had it that many of them had left to join Carthine. Some had simply fled the city, knowing that greater violence was inevitable and not wanting to get caught in it. Another rumour, oft repeated among the remaining guards, was that the city would soon no longer have the shill it needed to pay them. Most had taken two cuts in their pay already. By all appearances, Ashgarden was nearing total collapse. It was interesting for Vaslo to watch how everyone handled each piece of new information by either assuming the best or the worst. Captain Bezrin believed that Carthine was only gathering enough strength beneath her banner to force the land baron into meaningful negotiations. Ain Thurto and Sir Alden both seemed to believe that reinforcements from either the Grand Duke or the Royal Capital would arrive any day now, and this whole thing would be squashed and done away with. 
the secretary of the estate, according to Cory, believed the city would be bankrupt very soon. Amia, still wrestling with the suggestions of Sir Alden a week earlier, assured herself that her mother would never sign her away to such a man, and that there was no evidence at all that the guard marshal had been doing anything other than lying through his teeth. Everyone had landed firmly in their decisions with what little information was available for them. A knock on the door interrupted them. Corey opened it, and found the captain standing in his full armor, sword strapped at his side, and a blue cape draped over one shoulder. Is Vosno here? he asked. With a grunt, the duelist got to his feet. Amir, early for patrol, isn't it? He paused for a moment when he saw how equipped he was. Everything all right? The captain's demeanor brightened a little. Carthine has sent word that she wishes to speak. Lord Thodo has chosen myself and Sir Alden to go, and instructed us to bring who we wish. I thought I should bring you, as you two have met already anyways. The marshal can find his own way, though I wouldn't complain if he got lost. Nor would I, Vaslo agreed. All right then, let me put on my leathers. I'd look a sham next to you otherwise. He put on his old leathers, strapped his circular buckler to his forearm, and attached his two weapons to his waist. After another thank you to Cory, he met the captain in the hallway and they set out for Carthine. She was waiting for them in some manner of large war tent, according to him. Her numbers were now large enough that there was no longer any need for her to hide. This is what I've been waiting for. The captain sounded so hopeful that it made Vosdo all the more skeptical. Ring not the bells of victory, Vosdo quoted. Bezrin laughed at that. You know Serenus? He shook his head. Just the one line, I'm afraid. Heard it from Garrus Elrin, years back. He always said it after a small victory, or if some glad news came our way about the war. I didn't serve in his unit but we were together at most of the major battles. Garrus was a famous man in his own right, and still praised today as the eminent thinker of his time. It's a shame what happened to him, the captain said. What happened to him? Vazlo asked. I mean, I guess I didn't think too much about it, but when the thought did happen to pass my mind, I always imagined he was in Belmaris doing this or that great thing. Nessel Bezrin laughed again. You really do just walk around with your head in the clouds, oblivious to what us mere mortals are doing all around you. Amia had you pegged. You remember when King Carmen was murdered by poison? Well, it got Gerasilrin too. Same dinner. Please don't tell me you thought King Carmen was still alive. I knew that much at least. Or figured it out anyways. Once people started saying, long live King Darren and whatnot. Plenty of tavern talk about the steward too. Vazlo sighed as the two stepped out onto the street, on their way to Carthine. Garrus Elrin died. A shame. He seemed a nice enough man, and cunning for sure. He was married too, I think. Poor lass. Captain Bezrin sucked in some air from his lips. What? Vazlo asked. She's dead too. Poison as well? The captain shook his head. It's just a rumor, mind you, but they say she lost her mind after her husband's death. Eventually got bad enough that she was having fits and tremors, 
and in time her body just gave up. Left a son behind, too. A damn shame, Vazda said. It'll be tough for him. Hard enough to be an Elrun as it is, and have the stain of your family's past follow you everywhere. Well, and mind you, this is just another rumor, but some say he and the young king are actually steadfast friends. If that's the case, then maybe things will start to look up for the Elrin line. He's the last of them, as things stand now, he explained. Vazda raised an eyebrow. You're just a bastion of information, aren't you? The captain shrugged. Blame it on my parents and my blasted sister, though I don't see her often these days. The Bezrins are a lesser noble family, and there's a saying, true enough by my account, greater nobles act, and lesser nobles gossip. In the very least, I'm glad that his son is fine. For now, at least. I hope he grows up and has many children. Would be a shame for the Elrin line to die after so long, Vazda said. They may descend from the Blood King, but the crimes of the father are not the sons. And that was a long time ago now. I agree, for my part. Leave them be and let them become one of the free folk in the very least, instead of perpetually kept within the royal palace. Maybe we'll see that sort of change under King Darren. I've heard promising things about him, the captain said. Just then, a group of a dozen armed citizens approached them. Some of them were in cheap, old leathers, while the rest just wore regular clothing with no armor to speak of. Only three had metal weapons, where the rest just had clubs made from wood or furniture. Vazlo knew better than to judge anyone by their apparel, though. He could tell by their eyes, and by fresh bright scars, by the torn clothing and notched weapons, that they had all seen violence by now. Captain Bezrin, one of them said. And you must be Vosloh Stepman, sir, another said. That'll be us, Vosloh agreed. You're from Carthine, I take it. The only one of them who had both leather armor and a real sword stepped forward. She sent us to bring you here. She's waiting. Will Marshal Elden be joining you? We had heard he was sent as well. We have not seen him, nor could we find him, the captain answered. I assumed he had gone ahead of us. He was not there when we left, just minutes ago, the armed man said. Then fear has got the best of him, one of them reasoned aloud, and the others chuckled a bit. Not sure I could have restrained myself if he really did show up, another admitted. Vazla remembered that it was Sir Alden who erected the pillars in the residential areas and began tying corpses to them. It had won him little favor with the people, however effective it may have been in initially corralling them. All a moot point now, though. The guard had lost all control of the city. The men led them down the ironway, too, more or less, the place where Vazlo had first met Carthine. There, right in the street, was an open tent very much akin to the war tents that commanders used in the fields of battle to plan their strategies and order their soldiers. They could already clearly see Carthine standing inside, looking down at a long table and pointing to various places on it. Her light brown hair was so curly that it stuck close and framed her entire head, and instead of wearing leathers as she had when they first met, she was in ringmail with a sturdy steel pauldron on one shoulder. Her battle hammer was near at hand, leaning against the table at her side. Gentlemen, she said as they entered, and without looking up from her table. 
There in front of her, a wide parchment detailed a crude sketch of the city, and particularly the areas surrounding the land baron's estate. Some parts had such detail that the information could have only been provided by someone who knew the mansion and its property well. Whoever may have provided it, Vaslo could tell by the frown on Captain Bezrin's face that it had not been him. Kathin, the land baron has sent us to negotiate and to find out your terms, the captain said, trying to adopt a familiar and optimistic tone. Ignoring them, she pointed out a spot on the map. Tell Borian his men to hold here, and not to advance until Ulrin appears with his units from the northern guardhouse. That's an order, no matter what reports he receives from the Bear's Gate. If he gets worried and rushes the north side, he'll meet a stronger force than he can handle on his own. And the third armoured unit? I believe Bori is under the impression they are to meet and sally together, the older man next to her asked. Carthine ground her teeth a moment her jaw working furiously. No, better not to. Ulrin and Bori can handle the north side by themselves. They have to. We need the third to flank our southern side, to stave off the house militias of the lesser lords that surround the estate. For this to work, everyone must win their respective battles by a margin, not by a windfall. Our numbers are not great enough for that. He gave her a small bow, and after sceptically eyeing the captain and Voslo, marched out from the tent. Only then did Carthine raise her eyes to her visitors. Might have guessed it would be you, she remarked. Captain Desrin straightened up confidently, but his tone was caring and thoughtful. We are here to negotiate a peace, Carthine. Let's not turn our city into a battleground, if it can be helped. Carthine's eyes squinted, like she was trying to figure something out. Wait, you think that's an option? Oh, no, Nessor, that arrow has been loosed already. What do you mean? The captain asked sourly. We have the numbers, and weapons enough, and you won't hear a word about disbanding from anyone in the camps, she answered. This is happening, Nessor. We may win and become revolutionaries, or we might die as traitors, but this is happening. Then why send for negotiators? Captain Bezrin demanded, angrily. If she was bothered by his outburst, she didn't show it. To negotiate Lord Ainthoto's surrender, and the surrender of the city guard, she said calmly. You can't be serious, he said, shocked. As the grave, she assured. The tension in the air could have been sliced with a knife. The two stared at each other for what felt like a long while, each looking incredulous. It was the captain who broke the silence. He won't surrender. You know I have to fight. She nodded. That is all I needed to hear. We are enemies, then, and this dalliance can, mercifully, end. Put me out of your mind, and instead, watch for my hammer. Before the stunned captain of the guard could say anything else, the lady blacksmith turned her eyes on Voslo. And you? Are you our enemy now too? I have no intention of remaining here beyond another day or two. If things go according to plan, Voslo answered. I'm no enemy to either of you, and for my part, wish you would see that you two are no enemy either. 
Fate draws twisted lines, though. Leave as soon as you can, Kathine said. I do not know yet when the attack will begin, but it will be soon. The captain had recovered himself. His face was cold and emotionless now, his lips pressed into that familiar thin line they usually held. I have given you a considerable amount of information over the past weeks, Carthine. I would appreciate it if you could at least tell me when the attack will start, instead of playing coy. I would consider that a fair trade, after everything. She shrugged, and for a moment, some red in her cheeks betrayed embarrassment. Well, well, oh shit, I'll just say it. We're waiting for a sign, or something. Nessor Bezrin raised an eyebrow. A sign? Wait, no, Carthine, don't tell me. She lowered her eyes back down to the table. That priest of the new religion. He came and stayed with us for two days after escaping the land baron. He told us we would have a clear sign, and if we waited for it, we were assured victory. You can't seriously believe that. Carthine, have you completely lost your mind? The captain shouted. These are people's lives you're playing with here. This isn't a fantasy or a bard story, dammit. These are real people who are intending to lay down their lives under your command. You'd hand their fate over to some charlatan. She winced, like she was expecting a blow that never came. You didn't have the dream then, she guessed. She was wrong about that, though. I did, he admitted quietly, his hands both clenched into fists. I can't explain it. He gave us other proofs, Carthine said. In the two days he stayed with us, he told us things he couldn't know, things that quickly turned out to be true. Such as? For starters, that there would be no reinforcements from the Crown. We intercepted a letter, and he turned out to be right. The Land Baron is waiting and hoping for soldiers that will never arrive, she said. He knew every word in the missive before we even opened it. There must be some trick to it all, Vazdo said. If there's a trick, it's a damned good one, Carthine allowed. Doesn't matter. Most my soldiers believed him enough, and now I doubt I could get them to fight even if I wanted to. Not until they've seen this sign he promised. He knows how to work a crown. I'll give him that, Vazdo said. You don't know what the sign is? The captain pressed. She shook her head, and her curls bounced around her face. Only that we'll know it when we see it, and that it won't be missed. She sighed. We have solid plans, good strategy, and eager troops. It is hard to imagine that we will lose this fight, Nassau. We have spent the weeks preparing, whereas your land baron has been sitting idly by, waiting for troops that are not coming and making no plans. Vazdo could tell by the dark look the captain now wore that even he had been holding out some hope for reinforcements. With greater numbers and well-armed soldiers, he might have been able to bully Carthine into accepting peace. Now, emboldened by a zealot and reassured of their numbers, they stood a very good chance of overthrowing Ain Thoto and seizing the city. It seems there is nothing else to speak of, then, the captain said sternly. I will inform the land baron that reinforcements are not coming, and shall prepare my men accordingly. He walked briskly from the tent, then stopped and turned to face Carthine one more time. The next time we see each other, 
as you say, we will be enemies. With that, he walked off towards the Landbaron's estate, too occupied in his head to notice he had left Voslo. He's a good man, Carthine said quietly to Voslo, now the only other person in the tent with her. He is. An honorable one, he agreed. Ashgarden is no place for honor this week, she said. If there is fate, or gods, one or many, I hope we don't find each other during the battle. I hope you don't either, Vaslo offered. And if there is fate, or gods, one or many, I'll be gone, and Amir with me. She nodded. I'm glad for it. Take care of yourself, Vaslo Stepman. If we ever meet again, may it be under more pleasant circumstances. I think we might have been friends, if we had met somewhere else. Somewhere else. Might be that we already are, Vaslo said with a smirk, and then offered a small bow himself. Steal yourself well. Handle yourself well. You embark on the most dangerous game mankind plays. Always remember, expectation is deceit, and certainty is ruin. Don't hope that things go as planned, and don't fear that they might fall apart. That's kept me alive all these years, so it should at least help you survive the week. Expectation is deceit, and certainty is ruin. I'll remember it. Vaza took a long time in getting back to his quarters. He strolled the Ironway in the cellar's square, taking a look at the city he had been in now for nearly two months. The streets were largely empty, no doubt in anticipation of the coming clash. When he did see others, they usually were a part of a unit of Carthine's rebels, out on this or that menial task. There were almost no city guards to be found in the city proper. He wagered that most of them were not at the Lambaron's estate itself, or else recalled to the homes of their various noble sponsors. He saw a few of the high wooden poles that Sir Alden had erected as well, but no one was up on them any more. As soon as Carthine's power in the city had been secured, all the bodies had been removed. He saw a few white chalk outlines depicting the line as well, certainly more than there had been before. When at length he made his way back to the estate, it was clear that word had already spread. There would be no reinforcements. You could read that much plainly on every guard's face. The captain was in the training square, marshalling and preparing the soldiers as best he could. The marshal himself was still nowhere to be seen. Vazlo asked after him to some of the guardsmen he knew were in his unit, but he was stonewalled each time. He wondered, without concern, if perhaps the marshal of the guard had already been captured or killed. Maybe he really had tried to attend the meeting with Carthine, and just never made it. It was Cory himself that made a dangerous connection of dots for the master duelist when they bumped into each other in the hallways after an early dinner. Is everything still ready? Vazdo asked as soon as he saw him approaching. Concern was clear in the trader's eyes, and Vazdo felt a sudden dread rise up in his chest. I can't find Amir, Cory answered quietly, then grabbed Vazdo by the arm and led him out of the hall and onto a small balcony that overlooked the large garden behind the mansion. What do you mean? Ask a maidservant, Vazdo said. Cory shook his head. I did. I asked her guard as well and a few others, 
even tracked down Bran and asked him. I couldn't pull the captain away from his duties, but as he's been occupied all afternoon, I doubt he would know either. Well, where the hell could she be? Vaslo asked, getting flustered. If I knew, we wouldn't be having this problem, would we? Corey said, clearly agitated himself. We can leave first thing in the morning if we can find her. We've gone as long as we can go without her knowing her part. She needs to slip away with us seamlessly to the stables shortly after sunrise. So we need her to be ready for the journey by the end of this night. Shall we split up and look? Vaslo asked. Corey shrugged and fiddled with the silver pendant beneath his shirt, the one that kept the image of his father inside it. I'm afraid to draw any attention. If the two of us are walking all over the estate asking after her, someone might get suspicious. We are hardly surrounded by friendly eyes anymore, especially since that night at Lady Canlow's. The duelist looked down at his old boots, a little embarrassed. I guess I didn't do us any favors with all that. Not like me, really. Just couldn't help it. Couldn't do nothing. Can't say I wouldn't have done the same. Or, well, tried the same anyways. Might not have been as successful as you were. Corey admitted. Where the hell could she be? Vazdo said again. More a whisper this time. I think the best approach is to casually check her room a few times throughout the evening. She's bound to wind up back in her quarters at some point. I think that's wiser than walking the entire estate. The merchant suggested. Both of us. Corey shook his head. Just you. I've already been asking around about her this afternoon. I should make myself a little scarce. A few final loose ends I need to attend to anyways. Vazlo ran his fingers through his thin grey hair. Thank you again for that. You're a good friend, Corey. For just a moment, a flash so fast that it might not have happened at all, he thought he saw anger in Corey's eyes. Then, more visibly, confusion before the merchant forced a smile. It has been quite a ride. Vazda raised an eyebrow. Everything all right? Corey went red in the cheeks and held his hands up. Just tired, I think. I've hardly slept these last few nights. Subterfuge is, after all, the work of the night and the stars. He nodded. I understand. Hopefully I'll find Amir soon enough, and we can both get some sleep for the day ahead. Who knows what the morning will bring. Hopefully it doesn't bring a full-scale assault on the mansion, Corey said, only half-joking. The guardsmen are rather abuzz with the bad news from your trip to Carthine. You should have seen when the captain told Lord Thoto there would be no reinforcements, and that Carthine was intending to attack. I thought the man was finally going to have a fit and die. We're not so lucky as that, Vazlo said. Hopefully we won't need to be, Corey said. All you need to tell Armia is to have a change of clothes and to grab anything she brought with her that she can't bear to part with. She can't bring more than she can carry in her arms. I'll tell her, Vazlo assured him. Corey went down the hall and disappeared around a corner not far off. The aged duelist reassured himself that Armia was probably fine and just getting into some manner of mischief somewhere. He went to a room on his way back to his own and knocked, but as he expected... There was no answer. Strangely, there was also no guard. Vazlo thought about staying by the door, as he sometimes did, but remembered Corey's words about arousing suspicions and ultimately decided against it. 
While rounding a corner, a troop of three confessors walked past, all dressed in their customary black robes and with patches in the shape of a red trident. Master Duelist, are you well? one asked. He recognized him to be the man that previously interrogated himself and Corey. He was a friendly young man with a face that seemed too soft for such hard work. Well enough, in a city that seems on the verge of burning down, I would reckon, he answered. And you, still about your business here? He shook his head. We're done with our investigations, and leaving. Our doctors decided it is a case of temporary mass hysteria, possibly the wheat madness. One of our confessors found a stalk of wheat that had some contamination from a dark fungus. On occasion, some such things have been found to cause temporary madness. Though somewhat sceptical that a pile of wheat could make a city lose its mind in precisely the same way, he decided it was a comforting thought, and settled on it. What of the young girl? The one that had been bedridden? He scratched his shaggy brown hair and looked over his shoulder at his two companions. Sad story, that. The mother, well, you know. She confessed heresy, and there were witnesses. I'm sad to say she's being brought back with us to Belmaris, for further questioning. Will she be executed? Vaslo asked, concerned. She was only a fearful mother. We might have all grasped at such straws, in her seat. Nothing so dark, no. It was a lesser crime and inspired by passion. She will be re-educated in the proofs, and after examination, should be home again in a matter of months, he answered. Only heresies or heretical activities identified as insidious are punishable with death or long imprisonment. And the girl? The confessor looked at his feet. She did seem better, for a day or two. Our doctor, of course, was certain there was a natural explanation, and we were all hopeful for her. Then her condition began deteriorating again, and soon she was bedridden once more. Her apparent recovery was apparently, also, a fit of the madness. In her disillusioned condition she temporarily overcame her illness. The doctor, it's a shame, but it is what it is, the doctor said the wasting disease will have her before the year is out. An autumn wind blows already. A fungus, and no miraculous healing, Vazla said, mostly to himself. You take care. Hopefully, we will not meet again. The confessor bowed. I wish you a happy and healthy retirement, Master Duelist. Vaslo made it back to his room, slipped his boots off, and sat on the edge of his bed. He was tired. With everything that had been going on in the last week, he had not gotten a good night's sleep in some time. Looking out the open window of his room, he could see that the sun was already casting orange light in long shadows. He reflected, for a moment, that maybe it wasn't so strange for a confessor and a duelist to have a strange manner of respect for one another. In their own ways, both were disciples of the dance. One used weapons and the other words, but both engaged in a tense back and forth, full of strikes and parries. In both instances, someone stood the chance of coming to harm. It was well known that most confessors were skilled combatants in their own right, and frequently defended themselves when their suspects turned violent or frenzied. He preferred the clean simplicity of a sword fight, he thought, to the murky waters of discussion and interrogation. If words had been his strength, he wouldn't have become a duelist. 
Vaslo Stepman sighed wearily and rubbed his eyes. Armia was a mischievous little creature, but in the very least, she always returned to her room as the night came on. He would catch her then. A short nap for now. He leaned back against the headboard of his bed, not quite laying down, and folded his arms over his chest. A wheat blight and a sick little girl were his last thoughts before sleep snuck him away. The shouts of men and the distinct clashing of wood and steel and leather. When Vazlo leapt from his bed, his room was filled with the darkness of night, except for a subtle glow coming through the window. He could hear the footsteps of some people running down the hall, and somewhere he heard men shouting orders. No, 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 damn it, not yet! He threw his leathers on as quickly as ever he had, and when he pushed out from his door into the dim hallway, he was still fastening his master's buckler to his left forearm. It was happening. He knew it. For whatever damnable reason, Carthine had begun her attack. Amir! he yelled no longer caring one bit about who knew or what he looked like. One of his boots was still untied, and as he strode down the halls, he finished clasping his weapon belt, the two swords beating feverishly at his side. Two guards ran past him, but if they even noticed it was Vaslo Stepman, they didn't show it or slow down. When he came to her door, he didn't even knock. He found it unlocked and let himself in. The sigh of relief was audible when he saw Armia sitting there on her bed by her window, looking out at the sky and holding something in her hands. Armia, I wish I had more time to explain, but we're leaving. Grab what you can. He wasn't lying, she interrupted, and slowly held up the rolled parchment in her hands. It had a broken red seal on it, and clearly she had already read it. That's the Valmatani seal. The letter is from my mother. It instructs me that I am to remain as a guest of Lanbaron Ainthoto until my red comes, and the day of my marriage to Sir Maxon Alden. It was only then that Vosla realized the young girl had been crying. Her raven-black hair was stuck around her face, and she wasn't even looking up to see Vosla. She was just staring at the letter in her hands, in sullen disbelief. He took a step forward. It doesn't matter. We're leaving tonight. She stood up from her bed, and her white nightgown unfurled from her lap. Mostly white, except for a mess of blood beneath her waist. If she had registered a thing he said, she didn't show it. Her eyes, normally round and full of life, were dim and corpse-like. Finally, she looked up at him. Your head is always in the clouds, Vazla Stepman. How then? Did you miss the stars? The eerie red glow that filled the room, that haunted the hallways, finally stood out. He had been so in his head, so full of concern, that he hadn't even thought to question it. Armia lazily lifted an arm and pointed out her open window, into the night sky beyond. The Southern Cross constellation hung low over the trees, and there in the center of it, a star shone with the color of blood. The Bloodstar Cross. He said the words with a mix of fear and utter disbelief. Was that the sign? The sign that the priest told Carthine to wait for? How could he have known? How could anyone know that the Bloodstar would appear? The last time anyone saw it was over two centuries earlier, 
and then it had heralded the end of the Elrin dynasty. Maybe, Vaslo, maybe nothing is as we thought it was. She sat back into the open window, and a breeze blew some of her hair out into the night. Bloodstars be damned, he grunted, and took another step forward. Amir, there isn't time. She ignored him. They say the Bloodstar means doom to those in power. I hope so. I hope it kills Max and Elden and Aenthoto, and everyone like them, everywhere. Elden. Alden. Her voice became strained. He came for me. I don't know how he knew. I hid all day. Vazlo's eyes flared in anger. What do you mean? Amir, did he— Another interruption. A change in subject. And now, it was clear even to Vazlo that Amir was in some manner of grief-stricken hysteria. I followed those confessors. I stayed hidden, or I borrowed cloaks and in the evenings I would spy on them through windows or cracked doors. That doctor, he's an evil man. That girl, Lara, she was all better. She was up and dancing and playing, just like the strange man said she would be. When the confessors came, the doctor started slipping some white powder into her food and insisted on being in charge of her meals. In no time she was back in her bed, just as sick as before. They said some madness seized her, and that's why she was up. But no, fast though. She was healed. I saw it. They poisoned her, to make it look like there had been no miracle. A new fear came over the old duelist as he recalled how high up Armia's room was, how far down below the courtyard lingered. He found himself on the edge of tears. Armia! Armia, come down from that window! Come on. Come with me. It will be all right. I'll protect you. For just a moment she glared with anger and disgust, but then her face fell back into that peculiar dullness so unlike her. The time to protect me came and went. A sword would not have hurt so badly as those words. He took another cautious step forward, even though he wanted to buckle to the floor, and held a hand out towards her. Just step down and come with me. I'm begging you. We're so close. Cory has a plan. There might still be time. Cory isn't who he says he is, she leveled. I had to be around him for a week or so to be sure. I knew I recognized him. That first day you both came here. I never forget a face. Let's not worry about Cory. He's a friend. Come on. Vazlo tried but the words felt strange in his mouth, and for a moment he remembered the scars that covered his companion's body, scars from different weapons, made at different times. She continued, There was a man once, a young man with curly brown hair and lanky long arms, who came and served at my father's house. He kept to himself, and he had thin smiles, and the right words when they were needed. Then my father died. His throat was cut in his sleep, ear to ear. It was my uncle, they said. All the evidence was there, perfectly there, plain for anyone to see, as though the murderer wanted to be caught. My uncle denied it all the way to the executioner's block. He screamed his innocence right down to the blow. And then that tall, 
quiet man disappeared from our estate without asking to leave, without being fired or sent away. He was just gone. No one ever thought anything about it again. He had no words. Was she saying Corey was the servant from her house? Was she suggesting he had murdered her father? Contradicting information about the young man began to swirl in his head, but he tried to swallow them down. Armia was what was important right here and now. A walnut landed easily in his opened hand, distracting him from his thoughts. He closed his fingers around it and looked up at Armia, in confusion. She had some color in her face again, and smiled. Finally caught it. You really are a master duelist. Then she fell back from the window of her high room and disappeared into the night below.